Hey guys, it's Steve Baker, the Pragmatic Constitutionalist. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I took this weekend and spent a little personal time. <laughs> I actually spent most of the weekend binge watching The Sopranos. I, I never saw it during its initial run. Uh, and somehow over the last 20 plus years, I've uh, managed to avoid all the spoilers. So I was uh, not not only impressed with the uh, the series itself, but uh, the ending completely caught me off guard. And I won't uh, offer any spoilers myself. There was a, a friend of mine when I was on the road over the last uh, couple of months uh, in Nashville who got me hooked on The Sopranos. He told me that it was a must watch. And so we would sit down in his home on various evenings and he would play back some of his favorite episodes for me. So when I got home, I put the sixth six season series on and for the last few weeks have been binging it and then this weekend I knocked out the rest of it. In fact, probably shouldn't admit this, but yesterday was all about the Sopranos and I watched the entire uh, second half of the final season which was a uh, 10 episodes in one day so that was my day I, and it wasn't like i wasn't keeping up with current events i i had the master scores going off in the sideline and then uh obviously checking the news as it was <laughs> scrolling across my news feed on occasion i would take breaks hit pause check what was going on so I, i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of up uh, on what's been happening here lately but uh, nevertheless that's my story and i'm sticking to it so let's you know let's just uh Let's get caught up together on some of the current events and headlines that are taking place. Uh, yes, I know all about Prince Philip's death over in England. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a conflicted animal with regards to the royal family. I, I'm eminently fascinated by all things related to their history. And I'm talking about the ancient history, even to 20th century history. Uh, but the, the truth of the matter is, uh, I could care less about their current existence. In fact, I just wonder why the British people spend so much time and money propping up an institution with such an absolutely horrific legacy of crime and corruption and wars and bloodshed and imperialism. My question for, for the Brits are, where's the cancel culture when you really need it? They shouldn't destroy the royals' history nor should they destroy their statues or their architecture or you know anything that was collected and built during their history uh, but they need to go ahead and just drive a stake in the heart of that obscene financial support of just pure elitism because that's all it is and good for nothing propping up of a family in in a day and in an age where they literally do nothing they mean nothing except i understand what they mean to them from a historic sense sense but that's where it needs to lie in an historic sense and not by the current funding and obsession with the current occupants of all of their you know castles and such uh yes i kept up with the masters as well i was a little bit more interested in the masters than i was the royal family i mean we had the first male japanese golfer to win a uh, golf major but more more importantly i was i was impressed at the masters being located there in augusta georgia that those masters officials didn't uh, suffer the voter law protesters uh, with any meaningful attention given to them uh, related to their reactions to the voting law controversy that's going on in georgia right now that said uh, cbs and espn 
both came under fire and under a lot of criticism for not focusing on Tiger Woods' current, you know, reckless actions in his most recent uh, traffic accident. Instead, they actually paid him honor, you know, in their broadcast, honoring him and his history as a golfer and what he's done on the golf course uh, and not spending the time on, uh, you know, on his personal life and on his foibles outside of the sport. And let that be a hint to all major sports and all professional sports that probably people will want to come back to television sports and buying tickets to the games if they cover sports and not politics or the soap opera lives of the of the um, players themselves you probably uh, also heard this week that interstate highways are racist Yes, it's true. Pete Buttigieg, now on Biden's cabinet, has uh, said, and I, I want to quote him here, he says, there is racism physically built into some of our highways, and that's why the jobs plan has specifically committed to reconnect some of the communities that were divided by those dollars. Our interstate highways are racist. You can't make this crap up. Oh, gosh. In other news, uh, I'm sure some of you have also heard about the volcano evacuation plan from the eastern Caribbean island of St. Vincent. I don't know if I can pronounce his name correctly, but uh, their prime minister, uh, Minister Ralph Gonsalves, uh, said in a press conference that people have to be vaccinated if they want to be evacuated aboard a cruise ship or if they want to take temporary refuge uh, on another island. In other words, uh, their citizens who are actually living in the red zone of that volcano, while they may have a 99.75% chance of surviving the coronavirus itself, they have a 100% chance of dying if that volcano erupts and they don't have a vaccine passport or they're their own way of getting off the island and some other place to go that doesn't require that. I mean, just that's a that's a, an absurdity that is, I'm afraid we're about to see a whole lot more of. Um, speaking of which, here locally where I am, Duke University just also announced that they are going to be requiring vaccine passports in order for their students to return in the fall. Now, they're joining uh, similar announcements from other universities like Cornell, Rutgers, Oakland University in Michigan, Brown University in Rhode Island, uh, St. Edwards University in Texas, and, and while some of these schools are not requiring vaccines, they are offering other incentives for the vaccines, though. If they do prove that they have taken the vaccine, then these students would be exempt in the coming fall session from um, campus mask mandates. So, there you go. Don't want to wear a mask? Get a vaccine. So those students, again, who are in the 99.99 plus percentile of survivability to this particular coronavirus are now being told they can't come back to school uh, without the vaccine. Or if they do get the vaccine, then they can come back to school without masks on. And that's, again, the world in which we currently live. And that's where we're headed. Uh, meanwhile, we're talking about a year ago the possibility about these vaccine passports. And of course, we were called conspiracy theorists at the time. And then we were also talking about the various conjectures that were being made by certain uh, bureaucrats, scientists, and people like Bill Gates and such organizations uh, that do these types of things, uh, tracking uh, diseases. And one of the things that were being floated a year plus ago was the idea of actual inserted chips in which those chips would be used to track our process through the disease, whether we were vaccinated, whether we were symptomatic, whether we had the virus itself, 
all manner of tracking involved uh, that could be you know scanned or would uh, would report in some way to the authorities or to you know whatever event or building or job or grocery store that we would want to enter that there would be such a uh, available such a chip and of course anybody that brought that up were ridiculed and we we got a lot of pushback from social media and from the uh, big tech giants on that as well but you know uh, we were conspiracy theorists at the time meanwhile last night on 60 minutes they did a show uh, a story where the pentagon now has reported on 60 minutes on cbs mainstream media that the pentagon has created a subdermal chip which will signal something like a as they they actually described it as a like a check engine light if you have been infected with virtually any coronavirus and possibly other diseases as well if you want to read the full story on that you can go to our locals community i've linked to it there and it's it is absolutely frightening and there's just no other way to say it. We called it a year ago. We were ridiculed for talking about it. And now the mainstream media has picked up the story and it's funded by the Pentagon, no less. Uh, in other news, gosh, you guys, this, this is just amazing. BLM founder, one of the co-founders, Patrice Con Colors, has been found to have recently spent $3.2 million on properties just in the U.S. alone, including you know a $1.2 million house out in the L.A. area, and has also been looking at exclusive properties in Bahamian resorts uh, down outside of Nassau that were priced between $5 million and $20 million. And this is according to a local agent down there. My, my question is obviously, where is all this money coming from? Where does a young uh, Black Lives Matter activist, in fact, a, an activist who is self-described, we have our own video saying that they are trained Marxists, where does a person of this stature and of this social justice warrior class come up with this kind of money to be buying properties all over the world. Well, in, in fact, we know uh, it's it's very easily tracked and it's reported publicly through made mainstream media sources that money has been this money has been donated to BLM from the likes of Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Levi's, uh, Gap brand stores, Nike, Coca-Cola, uh, and many many others. And as I said, all of this is being donated from American companies to an organization founded by self-described trained Marxists. So what is this? So we've heard of crony capitalism. What is this, crony communism? Because that's the only thing I can come up with here. There's just really no other commentary needed. When you have individual founders of BLM personally benefiting from this corporate largesse and participation in their quote-unquote cause, it brings into question what that cause actually is. Uh, speaking of BLM, as you know, there's been another shooting in a Minneapolis suburb of Brooklyn Center. A uh, Brooklyn Center a police officer fatally shot a man just this weekend during a traffic stop. Uh, this was just yesterday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, and that has sparked an entire new round of riots and looting. <laughs> And, of course, one of those stores that was uh, looted uh, was Walmart, one of the big contributors to BLM. Anyone want to explain this to me? 
I mean, anyone out there still that really believes that this is about social justice at this point? No, it's it's not. It, this is just another excuse for lawlessness. And I'm not even going to comment on the circumstances of the shooting itself. And and I'll tell you why. It's because I don't know. I have I have absolutely no idea what the circumstances are. I, I I just haven't had the time to investigate. Is this a clean shoot? Is it a good shoot? Is it a bad shoot? Is it a bad cop? Is it a good cop? Is it a you know, was this guy a criminal? Was he, you know, I've, I've read the, I've read just the surface details of the story, but we, we don't know, as you know, anything within 24 hours, if we report on it, if we comment on it, we're not going to be right anyway, because all we're getting is what the mainstream press is feeding us at this point. So there's impossible to tell what's going on. Maybe some of you have already dug down deeper and you, and you can you know, comment in sections below here, wherever this video is posted about the, the, the specific details. And I'll certainly get into it myself later on. But the bottom line is, is that cop shoots, black guy, riots, looting, lawlessness, setting of fires, then begins. And it's justified just because it's a cop shooting a black guy, period. That's it. Again, it's not about social justice. It's just an excuse for lawlessness. That's it. And it's obviously allowed by our policing departments and their leadership because none of it has to happen. It can all be stopped. It can all be stopped on the site within minutes. It's only taking place because it's allowed to happen. Our governments are no longer doing their one moral function, which is to protect its citizens and their property from force and fraud. And that is the bottom line, period. You know, the, the truth is, I ask you this question, who, who remembers, because it hasn't been that very long ago, when leftists, or what we call liberals, which they're really not, but let's just call them leftists for now, when they used to actually hate big corporations, Big corporations were the pariah. They were the enemy of the left. Now we see that those big businesses, whether it's big tech, big box, big this, big that, are, are now joining hand-in-hand, hand, lockstep, with every single leftist cause, uh, even you know down in Georgia, just, just like there, joining with the Democratic voice and the mainstream media's voices about affecting voting laws and election outcomes. And they're doing all of this, as I said, in lockstep with the narrative coming from the leftist side of the political aisle here. You know, I have always been blown away by the, the leftist mindset's trust in people of power in government. Government being the single most oppressive and deadly force that has ever existed on this planet. And that's governments of every type. We know that there's no perfect government, but governments of every single type, even those striving for a more perfect government, and especially those who could care less about their own people, just their retention of power and their acquisition of power. Leftists, for some reason, put their faith, and I'm not talking about the, the, just the elitist power structure at the top, but the leftist voters put their, their faith in those people, those corrupt people in power. But they always used to hate the people in power in business. And now it's just the same thing. 
And we keep talking about that over and over and over again. I keep talking about that over and over and over again, that we are looking at one of the most dangerous times in our history when corporations are joining together in partnership with big government. And all of it's just people. It's people in power, people in money, and it doesn't matter which side it's coming from. But now we see the two sides that were you know, somewhat in opposition with one another. The way it was supposed to be in this country, they were not supposed to be in alliance with one another, but that's where we are today. And that's what leftists like. They like to trust people in power, which is amazing. So the, the point being is now that they're joined together, they have all the power in TOTA. And that's, uh, as I said, that's where we're at. You, you may have heard that just this weekend, I think it was on Saturday, that a group of more than 100 business and community leaders uh, joined in a Zoom call to explore what steps that they were going to take in pushing back uh, against legislation being considered in all the various state legislatures, including Georgia, across the country that would tighten voter laws. Uh, there on that Zoom call were leaders from Delta, American Airlines, uh, United, Starbucks, Target, LinkedIn, Levi Strauss, and you know many, many, many more. And I've asked this question over and over again. Someone, please, just show me one racist aspect of this new Georgia voting law, because this new Georgia voting law actually expanded and loosened voting rights from their previous law. The only thing that it still requires is a voter ID. An ID literally that everyone else, everybody has, everyone has, because it's required in almost every other aspect, function, activity, integration into society in their lives. But somehow to use that same ID to vote is seemingly racist. Like, are racist highways, I suppose. But but the fact that in every single other aspect of a person's life who might need access to government services, whether it's welfare, whether it's food stamps, whether it's Medicare, they have to show and they have to prove who they are. And in the Georgia law in particular, if they don't have a driver's license, the state will give them a free ID. If they can't acquire a free ID, the only thing that they have to provide to vote is the last four digits of their social security number. And if they don't have a social security number, then they're not supposed to be voting anyway. Isn't that right? So how is that racist? Especially, in fact, that the fact that numerous polling agencies are showing us that over 70% of blacks in this country themselves support voter IDs. And many of them are coming on board. They're on video. They're on YouTube. They're being interviewed in all manner of, of press and podcasts and blogs and saying how absolutely insulted they are that Democrats are implying that minorities don't have the intellectual intellectual wherewithal to acquire an ID. It's completely racist, but it's the racism from the other side. With, re with regard to these, these states taking these actions right now to try and, and improve the situation so that we can be sure that we can trust elections going forward, let's not forget that they have the right to do that. The elected legislatures, the representatives of those people in those 50 states, according to Article 2 of the Constitution, and specifically, let me, let me tell you what it says. It says, 
Article 2 of the Constitution, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. Each state in our American experiment has its own legislature. They determine how elections are held. They determine how each election is held in their own state. This is not determined, according to the Constitution, by our U.S. Congress. This is not something that was granted the right to the feds through our Constitution. It certainly was not granted to big tech and big box stores or any other multinational corporation to determine how people from their respective states cast their votes and how those votes are tallied and how those votes are protected and how the systems are set up to prevent fraud on a massive scale. And that is exactly the reason why we have a constitution. It's called the rule of law. And these people trying to kick that down and those people trying to sidestep the rule of law are the ones that are actually creating all the dissension and the chaos in the system right now because they don't honor that law because they have no intention to. They want to sidestep Article 5 process, which is how you change the law. Our founders gave us that. They said, okay, you don't like the law. You want to fix it. You want to change it. Certainly, technology changes. Times change. Sensibilities change. Society changes. All right. We give you Article 5. This is how you create an amendment to the Constitution to change that which we laid down 240 years ago. It's not that complicated. It's hard. And it's supposed to be hard. But that's what they did. But these people, whether it's big tech, big box, or you know the, these these multinational corporations, the Democrats, the left, they want to sidestep that process because it's very, very difficult as as intended. And there's a reason why it needs to be difficult because if it's not difficult, we live in a chaotic system of no rule of law. That itself is not very complicated to understand the psychology behind that as well. You know, we're we're headed right now to a situation where we're getting into, I mean, it, it's on our doorstep, by the way. It's just right across our border, some of the most frightening things that are taking place. In, in Canada right now, there's, there's a church in Alberta. You may have heard about it. They have been for months now defying lockdown orders, uh, refusing to not meet, refusing to close their doors, refusing to not assemble together as they believe that they should, despite the pandemic. Interesting. Interestingly, they're in a community where there has not been one single recorded case of COVID-19, not one infection in this particular community, not one infection in that church, despite the fact that the Canadian Broadcasting uh, System or company or corporation, whatever it's called, they know what the, the, the government, government-run news source has been denigrating them, has been very negative in portraying their desire to uh, gather together in their church services. In fact, uh, calling it super spreader events when in fact there's not been a single infection. And so what did they do? Well, they arrested this pastor. They threw him in jail, I think, for either a month or two months, something like that. And they told him that he could get out anytime he wanted to. All he had to do was promise that they wouldn't meet anymore. He said, no, I'll not make that promise. So he actually he actually had the ability to walk away from this prison. And, I, and from what I understand, they actually put him in a maximum security cell. And he had the opportunity to get out and go home at any time he want. All he had to do was just say, no, we'll, we'll suspend services and, and, uh, until you guys 
allow us to meet again. And because he wouldn't make that promise to the government, they just held him. And so the church members decided that they were going to meet anyway. So the government sent in the uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and they put up fencing. They put up razor wire. They put up black screen, and they actually blacked out the fencing so that nobody could see what was going on. And and put their you know their jack boots out there on the steps of the church and completely locked it off. And then <laughs> you may have also seen this other. I think it was a different church where a Polish pastor uh, was screaming at these um, local police officers there in Canada who had come to check out what they were doing and count how many people were meeting in their services. This Polish pastor was screaming at them and telling them to get out. Nazis out! Nazis out! And successfully ran them off. And and it was interesting, too, because you you could see in the faces of these uh, law enforcement officers that they they knew that they were doing wrong. They knew that they were following immoral orders. Uh, And they backed off in this particular case. I haven't followed up to see what the um, consequences have been following that video itself going viral. Uh, Maybe somebody can give me a link or something like that as well. So in addition to these particular circumstances and incidences that are taking place, some of these uh, cops are actually arresting journalists who are covering these events. Yeah, this is happening just right across our border. We, we not only have law enforcement putting up chain link fence with razor wire around churches, arresting the journalists, some of the journalists, certainly not the CBC journalists, I would imagine, because they're all saying it the right way. They're covering it the way the government wants them to cover it. But they're arresting those who are reporting uh, differently than the approved state narrative. Ever been to the USSR? I have. That's the way it worked there. So, as I said, even though I was binging on The Sopranos this weekend, I was keeping up with what was going on. Got a lot more coming up. We've got some big announcements that we're we're excited to make very soon. And one of those announcements is that I am about to hit the road again here very, very, very soon. I have, as some of you may have heard in a previous uh, podcast, that I am going to be on the road for the next year solid. My personal schedule related to my job in the music business is so sporadic and so light this year. It is so difficult still to actually book performance opportunities for myself and my bands that with so few things on the calendar and just doing exactly what I did back in in November of last year. And I'm saying, screw it. I'm going to hit the road and I'm going to take the, the TPC road trip back out probably beginning in mid-May. And if you are interested in any way, shape, or form of either attend just attending uh, one of our meetups, or if you can help in any way in, organi- in organizing and helping us put together meetups in your community, your region, your area, whatever, then just send me uh, where you're located, your city and state, and then your email address and name. Just email that to me. You can email it to me directly at steve at thepragmaticconstitutionalist.com. And, uh, you know, as I said, especially if you're interested in helping us facilitate one of our meetings. Uh, This particular road trip is going to have a very specific and distinct focus. Uh, The first focus is going to essentially be what would I would characterize as kind of a pre-release book tour for the Scamdemic book that myself and C. Edmund Wright are writing right now. And also we're going to, we're going to secondarily have major discussions on how we're going to push back against this, all the above um, mentioned cartel of American business and government that has determined to take, take our rights away from us and have determined that literally everything, single thing that we do is either racism, killing granny, 
or it's just part of the, the great reset. And the best way, as I've said before, for you to keep up with what we're doing and especially to keep up with the details of this road trip as I start putting them together is please, please, please consider joining us on our locals community. Uh, some of you have already done that. Uh, we're, we're, you know, from our, our Facebook page and, and again, not to beat a dead horse, but because we're so throttled, it's absolutely impossible to us to get for us to get to our 35 plus thousand followers we're just they're just not seeing our posts they're not seeing our announcements but we're getting them trickling over to local slowly but surely we're, we're, we've only gotten about a thousand of the 35,000 over there so far and uh, it's it's the pragmatic constitutionalist.locals.com and that's the best place to keep up. We're no longer using MailChimp as our e-newsletter server. So if you have previously signed up for our e-newsletter through our website, thepragmaticconstitutionalist.com, we are only doing one more. I think that's going out today. I think Scott's going to get that out for us today. That's the last one on MailChimp. And the reason why is MailChimp is a deplatforming big tech provider. I don't know how big tech MailChimp is or who owns them, but anyway, regardless, they're a deplatformer. And so we're no longer going to give them any money or any service or any uh, advertising or uh, of, of any way, shape, or form. We're not going to use them. And so... We're moving off of that, and we're using locals exclusively for our mailings and for our notifications. And in fact, on, through locals, you'll 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 never miss anything. They they not only will not deplatform us for our voice, they also do not throttle us. Uh, you will see every single thing that we put out there publicly. And if you are a supporter, then you'll actually see some of the exclusive. Uh, you'll see well, you'll see all of the exclusive content that we put out just for our, our supporters. So again, please send me a private message wherever you see this, or in email to steve at the pragmaticconstitutionalist.com even if you're just going to be able to attend one of the meetings and you don't want to get involved with uh, you know helping organize anything but especially do so send me that email with your name your city and your email address so that i can get in touch with you when it comes time for us to start uh, working on the routing and, and coming to your particular area uh, look big tech big box big business, big multinational corporations, they're holding meetings now and they're doing it publicly and they're doing and holding those meetings specifically on how they are going to limit and even suspend our individual rights. We get to see it. We hear it. They're no longer afraid about talking about it. That's where they are. So frankly, we have to start begin a meeting as well and determining how we're going to organize the resistance because that's exactly what it's going to take. We need each other now more than we ever have. I never believed that this was going to happen in our lifetime, but this is happening in our lifetimes. So once again, Steve, pragmatic uh, constitutionalist, I will be talking to you again soon, I hope. 